Welcome to the PWE and Me podcast, a place where we talk about the workplace, how it's changing, and ways that we can create an experience at work that is inspiring, real, and motivates us to bring our best self to work. PWE, what is it? Well, it's an acronym for Purposeful Workplace Experience. I'm on a mission to help our workplaces shift from being transactional to transformational, and PWE is how we will get there. My name is Carolyn Suara, your host and creator of PWE. It's time for another episode of PWE and Me, and today's guest is someone I actually have never met. So, Alan, this is going to be our first dialogue together, Uh, but Alan Schaefer is the founder and CEO of Banding People Together. Welcome, Alan, to PWE and Me. Oh, it is so good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So, um, so Alan, I was really, really intrigued. Um, and I don't even remember how we connected. I think someone with your organization within your organization reached out to me and I said, Hey, I'd love to have you on the show. And she said, why don't you have Alan on? So, um, Alan, I know you do this like cool thing. You integrate music and, and behavioral science together. And I, I mean, I love both of those things. I'm not a musician myself, but I love, 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 love music. I go to concerts at least once a month Ooh. and I love behavioral science. So, wow. you know, I think we, uh, there's a lot we can dig into here. Don't you think? I think so. And you know, it's funny. I've been going to a lot of concerts myself. Uh, recently I saw uh, Our Lady Peace, a great Canadian band with, That's with, right. with Bush and Live. And nice. I, I saw Queen, I saw Heart, I saw Belinda, uh, uh, no, gosh, I can't remember her name. Grammy Award winning artist. Oh, I'll think of it in a moment. She was amazing. Oh, Brandy Carlisle. Brand, sorry, Brandy Carlisle. I was thinking Belinda Carlisle, the go-go's. My bad. As yeah, I as right. I age She's myself. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know, music is music is the great. You know, the one of the truly great communicators. It and, is. You know, music and love. You, you don't you don't ever come across somebody that says, "Yeah, I'm not interested in any of that." Yeah. Yeah. So, so you are a musician, it sounds like, and like, tell us a little bit about how your world of music got you into science and how you do what you do now. Why don't you just take us on a little journey? Sure. That is a very fair question. So, uh, years ago I was a, you know, I was in the, uh, I was an early dot com person and my twin brother and I, who was the bass player in our band actually, uh, Came, he came up with an idea one day. He was doing some research on this new thing called the World Wide Web, and uh, yeah, which by the way, I was told the internet was a fad back in 1995. I, I can't make this up, and and so uh, ultimately, he was looking for concert information. And he couldn't find it, and so he started this thing called TourDates.com. I quit my job at Electra Records, and we built and sold that company back in 2000. And then I stayed on for a year to help oversee the integration to a company called Launch Media, who then was acquired by Yahoo. And after that, I was like, okay, what next? And the what next was, I'm going to start going to Nashville and become the best songwriter I can become. And and doing that, I then formed a band called Five Star Iris. And we, we had some decent success. I got to play in 18 countries. I entertained troops in places like Iraq during the war and we were on the radio and, you know, it was uh, rock and roll is a humbling business. You know, some places yeah. we were rock stars. 
other places. What, what, what kind of music was it, Alan? Because you said Nashville. I was in Nashville in, in March and I became a country fan pretty oh, fast. Oh, yeah, there are a lot of country music fans. Uh, so <laughs> we were more like a modern version of classic rock. So we played with bands like Collective Soul, Smash okay. Mouth, The right. Verve Pipe, Tonic, you know, yep. those those kinds of bands, Dishwalla. And, right. um, and so, um, you know, we, we toured and toured and we were, we were doing pretty well. And then we started to plateau. And mm. I was in Los Angeles and I was meeting with a friend of mine named Briggs Ferguson. And he was the CEO of the parent company of Evite and uh, City Search at the time. Evite. Yeah. Yep, and, I remember that. And, and, and that's funny, strangely enough, how these things happen. He's actually now one of the partners in, in, in banding. But um, I'm, re- I'm hanging out having this LA kind of Beverly Hills fancy dinner. And I go, Briggs, man, I'm having problems with the band. You know, uh-uh. oh, woe is me. Like, what a shocker. And he said, you know, there's a book that I think would really help you. And it was called Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick oh, Lencioni. Oh, by Patrick Lencioni. Oh, uh, yes. yeah. So, Classic. Yeah. Now, for those of you listening who might not be familiar, this is a great book. Please go pick it up. It's, yep. it's, it's a soap opera, really. And it's about a Silicon Valley tech company that decides to bring in a new CEO and they bring in an East Coast lady uh, more senior in her years, who knows nothing about technology, and the whole book is her kind of wrangling and hurting these cats and having to make some right. really tough decisions. So, I'm reading the book, and as I'm reading the book, I go, "Oh my gosh, we are screwed!" And it's all <laughs> them. They don't want it as badly as I do. They're not all in like I am. They're not as talented uh, as I am. They're not doing what I tell them to do. They're not doing what I ask hey. them to do. The yeah. classical—it's everyone else's fault, but oh, not mine. Yes, it was, I can see where you're going with this, oh, Alan. I can yeah. see where you're going. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that's why they say ego stands for edging greatness out. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, and so the the band kind of ran its course, and then I became this ravenous student of, you know, why do some bands make it when other bands fail? And okay. it's led me to all kinds of things that, quite frankly, I never even cared about or thought of. Uh, behavioral diagnostics, complexity, economics, yep. uh, things like game theory, uh, yep. you know, just anything that I could figure out like obsessively, like, you know, I think it kept me having a high metabolism. Like I just, went, <laughs> I'm going to solve this problem. And the the staggering, stunning truth when it was all said and done was that the realization that I came to and my conclusion was it wasn't them. It was, it was, excuse you. me, it was actually me. Yeah. And wow, was that a bitter pill to swallow? It's, it's humbling, eh? Because I think a lot of us, well, a lot of great leaders, I'll say, you know, us, because I've had that moment as well. It's like, holy crow, this isn't, it's not them, it's me. Oh, yeah. And it was, yeah. And, you know, and it was just, you know, I just, I wasn't giving people a real voice. You know, I, I was like a tyrant with a smile. I mean, I wasn't a, a total jerk, but it was going to be my way until I, you know, beat my idea in, in or convinced you otherwise, you know, beat it into you. Right. Right. Uh, and just not collaborative, not effective, uh, not allowing people to contribute really on a way that they could have. Right. Uh, so we never really leveraged or amplified the collective intelligence. And so it really left a lot of potential results unrealized. And so... And I decided, well, I learned about this thing called team building. And, okay. and I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I guess I, I could maybe go into corporate America, teach people how to write songs and teach them how to work together better. And that's literally how banding started. And 
Next thing you know, we're doing it for places like Home Depot and ESPN and Microsoft. And that really wasn't enough. And I had this vision one day that I wanted to not only redefine how the world views the idea of collaboration, but I wanted to be able to measure collaboration on an individual team and organizational level. And so mm. I was like, well, man, I don't, I don't really have this, the goods to back that up. So I got to find somebody with a bunch of letters behind their name. And so I, I there you go. I, so you went searching. I went searching and I finally found, uh, uh, you know, uh, a PhD who wasn't too freaked out to work with a crazy band guy, a guy yeah, named, <laughs> yeah, Dr. Brandon Sullivan. Uh, and he was actually at the University of Minnesota, uh, Carlson School of, of, of Business. And uh, I said, Doc, that's what I called him. I go, Doc, I got this idea. <laughs> and uh, can you help me do it? And he's, oh, yeah, sure. You know, like, I was like, can you, I need the science, man. I can't, I can't look stupid in front of a bunch of PhDs when I'm going into these organizations. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, like total Minnesota. And we just had this amazing working relationship. And he really taught me enough to be dangerous. And at the same time, I just had these other people showing up in my life. Like I, there was a guy who lived one street over from in, in my neighborhood and I met him as he was getting his mail and he was retiring from Deloitte. And it turned out mm -hmm. that he founded the pricing and profitability practice and was just this just amazingly brilliant guy who, you know, I chased after him for six months and he finally sat down with me and he said, man, I think you're going to change the workplace as we know it. And I want to help you do it faster. And so I literally oh, like, amazing. oh yeah. So I've been, I've forced Gump my way through all this. But I've, so now what, what year are we in? So you, you, um, we made it through the dot-com days. You, um, you had this realization, you met the doc and now you're meeting this person who used to work at Deloitte. So what, like where, bring us, bring us where, along where you are in the timeline here. Yeah. So I, I came up, with the idea for banding in 2009, we piloted the first okay. session in 2010. And uh, that was like the, the, the like going the, and doing um, the team building event. Right. Okay. And then I guess probably, and this is something I'm, I should know, but you know, I, I'm about to be 50 next week and everything seems like it happened just like a few days ago to me. That's now yeah. I know I'm getting older. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, probably around 2000 and maybe 14 or 14, I started working on the diagnostics. So like about five years ago then. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah I say five, but my wife would probably say, oh, honey, you're bless your heart. You're crazy. It was six or seven. I, I'm not really sure I'd have to look. Well, and the reason I'm asking is because, you know, we've really seen a shift over the past four years, five years, especially um, around the importance of collaboration, the importance of connecting with people. And so it's, you know, your timing and your sense of this seems like it's just so bang on. You were really able to tap into something. Well, that is certainly kind of you to, to, to offer up. I will tell you that just like with the dot com, it felt painfully early. And I had a lot of people just looking at me like I had three eyes in these conversations. Uh, I, th I think for the most part, when we just even hear the word collaboration, we have this preconceived notion. And I think yeah. there's a few things that are really kind of keeping us all boxed in. And, and the first thing being, you know, collaboration, at least for us, is it's not just an activity, it's a process. Right. And, and when you say us, you mean you at banding, yes, right? Us at banding. Yeah. Okay. And, and we, yeah. and, and what has really evolved is a methodology and a system for collaboration called that we call true collaboration. It's this five step 
you know, system. And, and what I realized was that, you know, there's some real complexity going on. You know, if you think about collaboration as adults, we really have no business being good at it. And, and, and and I'll tell you why I think that, uh, first and foremost, and this is going to sound crazy and there are going to be some people listening that are going to scratch their head and go no way, but I respectfully and politely welcome any any challenge to this. That was very Canadian of you, Alan, to say, you know, politely and respectfully. Are you saying that I'm well, Canadian? Yeah. Well, you know, I went I had my first trip to Canada last year, so I think maybe it, it kind of rubbed off on me that's a little good. bit. Everybody that's was good. very kind up there, which was really fabulous. Yep, that's the way we roll. That's is, the way we roll. I know I dig that. I dig that. It's <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's my people. Um so um, the first thing is we've never been taught. And and no, you're right. We don't. We don't get taught in school. It's just like you go do your individual work, and then all of a sudden you go into the workplace and you have to work with everyone else. Yeah. And so think about how ridiculously and tragically flawed that is. So so here's something that we are all expected to do as adults, but no one's no one's everyone's given us the why and the what, but no one's giving us the how. So I really set out to build the how. And okay. you know, and the other thing that makes it a moving target for us is that there's no universally accepted norms or rules of the road. So, mm. if, so there's collaborative car crashes going on 24 seven. So let's think about why cars are going to crash in Atlanta, Toronto, LA, Chicago, wherever it is, you know, um, well, let's, well, do you want to take a guess as why cars are going to crash today? What do you think? Because people aren't paying attention okay. to what other people are doing. They're focusing on themselves. Okay. That is a very good answer. So that, so yes, yeah, so they are lacking awareness. That's one of the yep. things, but also there's some really easy things to identify. Some people are maybe not really understanding the rules. A great example. When I was a teenager, I went through a flashing red light in Jacksonville, Florida, and Uh-oh. I almost, and the automobile that I almost T-boned was actually one of Jacksonville's finest, a police officer. Wow. Yeah, that that mm-hmm. that wasn't so pretty. Um, but no. I really didn't know that you had to stop at a flashing red. I knew you had to stop at a flashing yellow. So like, so I really didn't understand the rule. In some, but that's a great, but that's a great example, Alan. Because you know, when you asked me that question, the first thing that like I didn't, didn't even come across my mind that people wouldn't know the rules of the road. And I think that highlights an important pieces, the assumptions that we bring in and just assuming that everybody knows the rules. So I'm really glad you brought that oh, up. Yeah. And, and, you know, assumptions are, are dangerous, are dangerous they things, are. right? Uh, and, and so the other thing is maybe someone just decides, well, these rules don't apply to me. And we experience yeah. that. That's, that's why you get road rage. Yeah. Right. Um, and then yep. if you've ever driven in places like Rome, Italy, you know, that in some places it doesn't seem like there are any rules. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to drive there, but I was a passenger and it scared the hell out of me. It was it was like playing a video game, but for keeps. It was so yeah. scary. I never <laughs> want to drive. In, I'll go to Rome again, but I don't want to drive in Rome again. And so, yeah. so, so now if we kind of take a step back, we go, okay, we've never been taught. There's no rules of the road, which by the way, I can go anywhere in the world. And I've done this like in Shanghai where I can walk in to a group of musicians who don't even speak English and I can say blues be flat. And right. it might not be perfect, but we have a framework for how we are listening to each other, working, a starting point, an end point, alignment, right? And so so we haven't been taught, we have no rules. And the third piece, and this is really the most pervasive piece, what is collaborative to you, what is collaborative to me, and what's collaborative to someone else, you get three different answers. 
And, yes. and subjectivity is the opposite of clarity. And clarity is yes. the lifeblood of optimization. Yes. Yeah. Now, what, now what, what do some people say collaboration is? Like what, what, before, what do you hear often? I'm not going to ask you what, you, what it is. For well, you. they say it's an activity and they say, well, we're over collaborating. And here's where I always love to jump head first, like a stage diver into this conversation. So for some, and I just had a client last week, a rather large brand that someone in the session said, I'm really having trouble wrapping my brain around collaboration as a process instead of an activity. But what I'm hmm. what I would suggest is it's a it's another form of continuous improvement. Self-awareness is at the key. It is really at the heart of it, right? How am I wired? Yep. How do I show up in the collaborative landscape? How does my frequency impact somebody else's frequency? You know, what are the things that I do that help someone succeed? What are the things that or, or go faster? What are the things that make someone slow down? And, right. and so, you know, unfortunately, we, there's this uh, narrative where collaboration became one of these kind of pukey buzzwords overused and everyone's over collaborating. And so I'll walk into a session and someone will say to me, well, how do you know when to collaborate and when not to collaborate? Yes. And yes. here's the thing. The purpose of collaboration is to amplify and leverage collective intelligence for one. Yep. Right. So I don't know if you can ever get enough of that. That's one thing. But here's the real key. And for everyone listening, I, I hope this could be a matrix red pill, blue pill moment and, and we can all wake <laughs> up together. And I, and, I, and I offer this humbly. But from our point of view, if you are not aligned when working with others, you are not collaborating. You are cooperating. Uh, and when you cooperate, you know what you get? You get the meeting after the meeting. Yep, absolutely. I mean, oftentimes I hear, well, we've got all the right people in the room and then they just drive the agenda down. I'm like, that's that's not even cooperating in some ways. Yeah. That's just like co collecting people in a room and pretending it's collaboration. Right. So so if we want to shift collaboration from an activity to a process, which seems a little crazy for some people, you know, it's funny when we show up in our sessions, it's never lost upon us, anyone in this band that like on some level we're showing up and go, hey, everyone. I know that your whole life, uh, collaboratively speaking, you've been told that the world is flat. We're here to tell you the world is round. round. Please give us a chance to make the case. Uh, but but when, we, when we look through the lens of alignment, it's the process of getting aligned. So how yeah, can you, it is. So how can you possibly have too much of that? Yeah. And so, and so Alan, how do you, how do you take them through that process? Is it like a day long thing or can you do it in an hour? Like, how do you get those mindsets to start to shift? You know, it, it's, I'm, so I'm, I'm laughing a little bit. Hopefully you can hear my smile because I, one of the conversations that we have uh, with our potential clients and mission partners, we, we view ourselves as producers, like a record producer and everybody we work okay. with is an artist and, and every artist is trying to make some kind of record in the way of a, of a result. And, and yep. if I had a dime for every time someone has said to me, you know, oh, can you do this, 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 and this, and we want all these incredible outcomes. And I'll say, well, well, that depends. Do you want an event or do you want a journey? And they'll say, oh, we want a journey. Right. And they'll go, well, what can you do in two hours? Yeah. <laughs> um, so in a day, in a like in a half day or a day, we can absolutely do the not only the mindset shift, yeah, but teach a language of collaboration that is so intuitive and so actionable and so fun. And, and the reason that is, we're, so we're using 
behavioral science and a lot of very basic tried and true things like Maslow's hierarchy of needs uh, and, and a yep. lot of things that are were just pre-wired from the factory to feel and internalize, but we're serving it up in a music-centric language. And it's so interesting because our greatest asset is something that we also have to overcome. You know, we hear a lot after the fact, it's like, wow, we were a little concerned that what you guys do is was going to be a little kitschy or gimmicky. Yep. But what it's doing, it's doing something very important. It's in, it's engaging the limbic brain where emotion right. and long-term memory lives. And so for everyone yep. listening, I'll, I'll tell you, this is how it works. You know, think right now about some meaningful life experience that you've had. Good, bad, happy, tragic, sad, and whatever it is. Okay, I've got mine. I've got mine. Okay, and now tie it, but can you tie it back to some sort of, or that somehow ties back to a musical experience. So think about- Absolutely. Okay, so, Absolutely. So what, Everything, like all my big memories are connected to okay, music. Can, will, you, will you share one with me? I will. I can like, I can remember the song. Um, I made a, a, a playlist for my husband now of songs that um, were really meaningful to me when we met. And then oh. I had two songs in particular that reminded me of the time we got married around Christmas. Wow. And so anytime I hear those two songs, I am brought back to when we were sharing our vows. It was a really small wedding and it just makes me feel all warm and and wonderful inside. Oh, wow. That's amazing. The hair is standing on my arms. You can't see it, but uh, that is amazing. So here's the thing. Music is the closest thing we have to a time machine. Yeah. And here's, and so, so in the way that you just described, everything that we do in our sessions is creating, it might not be the, quite the level of warmth, touchy, feely, but we are engaging that same part of the brain that creates that for you. So that yeah. when you leave one of our sessions, we can connect you or you can connect yourself or your band members can connect you back to that experience to trigger the learning right? in a way right. that most people just can't even fathom is possible. Well, and you, so what that reminds me of, Alan, because I know I, that was like really deep and emotional, but when I think of, so one of the, the concerts I went to recently um, was Pink Ooh. and you know, she creates an experience and you're like right there in the moment with her. And anytime I hear a song of hers on the radio, because I don't listen to her every single day. But what I loved about her show is you hear that music um, at the concert. And then when you hear it come on the radio, you're pulled back oh, to yeah. that moment. And and so I can I can really appreciate how you're using that ability to come back in the moment and create, you know, feelings of excitement or feelings of enthusiasm or optimism or hope. Right. Yeah. And and here's yeah. here's the well said. And here's the interesting thing. And I've, you know, like I said, I, I've gone to a lot of concerts recently, and every concert I could count on the same feeling, which was at some point everyone's going to have their cell phones in the air. With with the lights on, <laughs> everyone's going to be unified in some level of purpose. There's, you know, especially if you go to like a U two show or or like at Queen, like there was this yeah. real feeling of gratitude. We were lucky to be getting to see some part of Queen do what they do, and so right. all these unbelievable, just good things that as human beings we want. It's 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 like this utopian type feeling for a moment now. Of course, we have some other experience, experiences at shows where maybe somebody had a little too much uh, fun <laughs> and, uh, and, 
and crazy and they don't remember anything <laughs> but for the most part um we're all aligned and there's this universal energy and alignment that's that's happening that feels good because it is good and right. and we're able to take ourselves back there and that is that's magic and i thought to myself you know it's so funny it took years it wasn't until years after i stopped touring that i realized that 99% of my job especially fronting a band was creating a space for people to be so present in a way that they aren't anywhere else and that's why it feels so good i was like i was like the last to figure that out and that's was my wow. whole job it's amazing that you said that because i know as i found my voice i think i was sort of i'll say stifled or i had my own armor but as i found my own voice over the past few years I have noticed that the the music performances I I go to, I've noticed exactly what you just said is that you get up on stage or you see them on stage and they're in their own their own world and they're just performing and they're not caring about what everyone else right. is is looking at. And I'd never really noticed that before and maybe I'm just more acutely aware of it. Um but yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. So I have a very um you know, you you made me think of something that I, I, I say from time to time in, in my talks, you know, we all have our own definition of what a rock star is. And I have my own and having been called rock star in some places and maybe not so much in, in even more places, what I believe a, a real rock star is, first of all, a rock star isn't someone that's up on a stage entertaining tens of thousands. A rock star is oozes authenticity. They are so comfortable in their own skin knowing full well yeah. that their sound is not going to be for everybody, right? But yeah. they so they don't care at all about what people think, but boy, do yeah. they care about people. And what they do is they go out of their way to create special and unique experiences. So like Pink, she created an experience that has now become an annuity for you. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And and, and if, that's the, go ahead. I was going to say, and that's the magic. And I think in organizations and like my job as a leader is to create a, a level of experience and really what in, in psych speak, we'd say the conditions, the optimal conditions. So everybody else can be successful and humming at the level that they're capable of. That's the real heavy lifting. You know, Dave Grohl, who I love the Foo oh, Fighters. Oh my gosh. I love, we saw him last summer, like front row. He's awesome. Oh, yeah, love he's him. he's love amazing. Uh, I love him because he doesn't take himself so seriously. That's just I incredible. Know, I know. But you know, yeah. there's something that we talk about in one of our sessions. Uh, it's a quote from Dave Grohl and he says, I believe that the musical environment or that the environment drives the musical result. And so mm. the real work that we do at banding, especially kind of the early part of our process is, how do we create the conditions so that the magic can happen? And not, right. not that everything's all peachy keen all the time, but like how do we create the conditions so you can get to the right conversations, align quickly? Because here's the reality. When we are aligned, things feel good. We go fast. When we are not right. aligned, things go slow and it sucks. And so – one of the things, Alan, that really struck me when I was reading through your stuff after we got connected is I talked about experience and creating an experience. And I brought in my own personal story, which had nothing to do with music, but it was a story of how I created an experience for my family 
through a lot of tragedy and sadness. Mm. And it was exactly the same premise, right? Like, you know, I was 31 years old. I was pregnant. My husband was diagnosed with um, terminal cancer. And I was like, holy shit, like, what do you do? Like that, that wasn't in the plan. So we had six years. And, and what I learned through that journey was you can be happy in challenging times. Mm -hmm. And I could not take the cancer away. I could not impact the healthcare system. We had to work within it. But I could create an experience that was going to be memorable and positive for all of us. And 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 so we do have that ability. So I came at it a bit of a different way, but wow. I love the words that you use around using music to create that experience. So wow. we're very connected with our wow. messages. Um, so so, so yeah. what I hear in, in what you're sharing is, you know, you know, we create our own reality. And you know, it's, it's really yeah. interesting too, because, you know, there's a lot of people that uh, there's, while there's plenty of people that believe that there's more people that I come across some, I, you know, in my travels that maybe don't think that's possible. Uh, you know, there's, there's the, there's the idea of what we call quantum heaven or quantum hell. You know, mm. um, you know, I think it was Wayne Dyer. I, you know, when I was going down my rabbit hole of trying to become more aware, I think I watched a yep. Wayne Dyer thing on PBS and said, you know, if you change yep. the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And I went, well, man, that yep. makes sense to me. Um, and so yep. even, but, but what's, I, I think the real kind of Jedi awareness move that, that we all aspire to get. And I, I still, you know, I have my moments where I can do it and I have plenty of moments where I need others to help me do it. Um, you know, we build narratives in our head based on, on optics yep. and, um, and, and, and in a lot of cases, fear, which I'm sure we've, yep. many of us have heard false evidence appearing real. Um, and so it's so easy to build a certain type of narrative and, uh, and, and that's unhealthy. And the other, the other part of it that at least for me helped kind of unlock my my the, the prison that I was in in terms of my own awareness was, you know, as human beings, we kind of suck at letting go. Like we don't like to let go. I we want to control the outcome, right? That's what the ego yep. does. And so, yep. you know, the, I finally got to this place where I just went, you know what? I can't really, I'm, I can't control the outcome. I can maybe influence it and maybe sometimes more so or less, um, but I'm not going to be hyper fixated on any type of outcome does not mean that I'm not hard charging to get a result, right? You know, right. Uh, right. you know, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, I grow businesses, you know, I have to sell all those things. So, but I don't get so fixated on a result that, um, that it changes my behavior in a way that I'm either creating false narratives or more importantly, when we try and control an outcome so rigidly, the thing that shows up besides fear of not achieving the outcome, we use force. And in it, it is an right. irrefutable law of the universe. Force is met with resistance. Yep. Oh my gosh. So now you haven't worked in the corporate world then, like as a, a part of the corporate world. I know corporations hire you in, but where, I mean, I worked corporate for 17 mm -hmm. years and everything that you just said is, it's like we... 
this force comes down upon us and we feel that we have to control an outcome because we are accountable for it. And so this mix, this things got mixed up, I think, in the, in the 90s and the, and the 2000s, that you had to control the outcome to be able to deliver the result. And then the fear happens, the resistance, the lack of connection, the lack of collaboration, and, and you get all this dissonance in an organization and fail. Well said. And, you know, in, in my experience, um, you know, there's a really big difference between making something happen and letting something happen with real intent, with real intention. And like, it's funny, even my wife, if, if I, if I, say, Hey, I'm going out and I'm going to make something happen. She'll look at me and she'll see, what'd you say? Oh, no, I'm going to go let something happen. I'm, again, doesn't mean that you don't yes. give your all, but, but right. force is, you know, you can't outrun force. Force will exhaust you every yep. single time. And, and it, and force creates th- things like anxiety and stress and fear and all these things that keep us kind of below this healthy line where we're drowning. And if you just think about any organization going through change. It's like, you got a lot of people that are really, really struggling for basic human survival type things. Like people don't feel safe in these changes and, you know, and it's, and so like I I sit here and I, you know, we work in some amazing, you know, global organizations and I get to spend time with really brilliant people and PhDs and all, all these kinds of people and I sometimes, and I, and I truly mean this humbly. I'm like, I'm just a band guy. Like, you, like, and maybe, maybe because I haven't been close to it, I have a different perspective. But I don't think this is rocket science. We're talking about basic yeah. human intrinsic motivators that people want to have a voice. They want to be able to way to they want to contribute in a way that's meaningful to them, and they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. They can't be a part of something bigger if they're not contributing and they can't contribute if they don't have a voice. So a lot of the yeah. work that we do is we look at the tactics. What are What's the destructive interference going on in your environment, team, organization that's keeping that from happening? So like a great analogy would be, so let's say you go to a concert, right? And all of a sudden you hear a bunch of squealing, very unsavory feedback coming from the stage, right? Mm, yeah. Well, it's a gift. It's telling the engineer that there are frequencies that are not right. The math doesn't work. They cannot coexist. Right. So what the, you know, and, and so for instance, let's say you can't hear the lead singer and conventional wisdom would be, well, just turn up the vocal louder. Well, that's not how it works. That just makes more mud, mm. right? So what the engineer right. has to do while they're furiously working is they have to take things away and carve out space so that frequency can be heard, but they're not necessarily making it louder. So the idea that we amplify Uh, the sound by not getting louder is a very abstract idea for people who don't know sound. And so so that's really what we teach people how to do is to how do you peel away the, you know, identify and peel away the destructive interference in this case, in the way of behaviors that are actually muting people's voices, minimizing contribution. And it's, it's, it's funny, like, this metaphor for the whole music thing, I don't know if I just have too much time on my hands, but it sure feels pretty easy to us in, in, in our little it band. Does. And it, you know, it's just, it's just concrete and easy to understand. And, and so, hey, so let's take away the stuff that's killing us so we can, del- so by default, we can just go faster and have a better work experience. 
Well, I have to say, Alan, now uh, I am going to be looking at the sound people a little bit differently. So, I mean, as I said, I go to many concerts and there are some, you know, my husband chooses some, I choose some. Um, He he won't go to see the Mm -hmm. pop ones with me. Um, But uh, for some of the ones that I'm not as engaged in the music, I'll watch the sound booth. And I always wondered what all those buttons, you know, meant on their soundboard. And so, you know, I think I think you're right, you know, for people who aren't as uh, knowledgeable about, um, you know, all those details about frequency and amplification, it's it. It doesn't doesn't make sense, but it's so easy to connect right. to it, and so I can see the impact of what you're doing with organizations in helping them understand how to collaborate, how to find their voice, and how to be able to contribute and create that experience that everyone yeah, can be well, heard. Well, well said. You're hired. You're, you're <laughs> there. It is. Oh. Um, hey. So so here's so, so here's <laughs> the here's the other thing though. I think that um, would be interesting for you and anyone listening to next time you're at a concert. There's something really interesting that happens the first few songs. And if you watch, generally, uh, and it's a little less now with kind of the digitized stuff, but generally the sound engineer for the first two or three songs is working at a different pace, maybe a little more frenetic. And here's why. And this really speaks to organizational dynamics and human behavior. You can't just so so the band goes in before the before they open the doors and they do something called a sound check, right? And they get yep. the sound just the way they want it so they can hear themselves on stage, put on a good show, and then they go to the dressing room. Then they come back out on stage and something crazy has happened. Do you know what? There's there's an external mm. factor that the band and the engineer are actually forced to deal with. And what that is, is you now have a crowd of people. Yeah, I was going to say all these people come into uh, to the, to the right. so area. The, so it has changed the environment. And so the frequencies right. that were playing well together at five o'clock at soundcheck aren't playing well together now. And so they have to make that adjustment. And really, that's one of the things that I see in organizations where, you know, especially like they'll bring in someone for an offsite or a training and everyone will go kumbaya and have a great experience and love each other and, and you know, or learn something. And then there's this false expectation that it's going to stay that way. And it can't stay that right. way because humanity and life is dynamic, just like sound. So yep. to be yep. truly behaviorally agile, you have to account for that. I mean, look, you could come into work tomorrow and you are maybe not your best self for a number of different reasons and you're showing up differently than on another day. Yep. And so your thinking might yep. be less rational than it is than it's going to be tomorrow. If I know that and if I know the patterns, um, I can navigate that as a leader or as one of your bandmates, I can navigate that completely differently. Right, right. And I'm guessing that, so let's come back to that concert example. So you have your sound people that go to all the different arenas and such. And so they're going to have a general idea about what could happen when the 18,000 yes. people come in or 50,000 or however big, but it still doesn't mean it's going to happen that exact right. way. That's true. It, it, they still have to be Yeah, prepared. and then there's other factors. So let's say the band, um, let's say the the guitar player is, you know, had a real rough night and maybe isn't feeling so spry and wants to be engulfed in his or her sound on stage. So now all of a sudden mm. they've turned their amp up to 11 and now the singer can't hear themselves on stage. 
So now someone having a vastly different experience because of what they brought to the show is now impacting the rest of the band. Wow. You know, and so that's part of the dynamic nature and complexity that I became obsessed with when it comes to behavior. It's why families are so screwy. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast oh, discussion, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, but 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 <laughs> the thing is they're all similar patterns and I'm here to passionately suggest. Look, I don't have a PhD. I didn't I don't you know, I didn't get my doctorate in, you know, organizational psychology, industrial psychology, any of that. I don't and again, I, mad ups to the act to everyone in academia i think we're i think we're over engineering and over processing behavior change behavior change is not difficult right behavior it's hard changing somebody else's behavior is difficult but guess what we're not really here to change other people's behavior someone's got yeah we're here, we're here to, change to change our, our own. own and so if somebody yeah. is not willing to change their behavior or doesn't care about changing their behavior uh, in the way of what we call continuous or self-improvement here, they don't get invited into our band to make music. So, so there's a different right. talent aspect of this too, to go, well, you know, uh, what do I have the right people? Am I asking the right questions even in the interviewing process to go to vet people to go, Hey, if someone comes into my band, are they going to, are they going to improve the sound? Or are they going to derail the sound in the way of engagement and, alignment and collaboration and productivity. Right. And that, that leads me to think like, how did you choose people to come into your band? You know, uh, part of it. So at first it was intuitive and I would just, and it's so funny. My, my wife used to, to laugh and say that I collected people, which sounds so creepy. Um, but <laughs> I would like one of our facilitators, I was just, I was watching a television interview and it was someone who played in bands. Uh, it was a guy named John Stringer. And I, uh, and I was watching this interview and I just realized that he was very in tune with really what it is we were doing, even though he didn't know either anything of what we were doing. I called my wife over and I said, Right. I think he needs to be in the band. And there it was. Yeah. Or no Brant Menswire, who's a great rock star speaker and, and author. Um, you know, he and I were playing a show in our respective bands, a benefit for a children's hospital in St. Petersburg, Florida, with uh, Robin Zander from Cheap Trick and Buck Dharma from Bloister Colt and Mark Farner from Grand Funk Railroad. And we were just hanging out backstage. And that's when I, when I came up with the idea for banding. I was like, man, this guy he's kind of one of the others. And, and so, you know, that's really kind of how it's happened. And then on, on our, con, like on the kind of more senior level consulting side, the folks that we have here are really people that it's funny. They're all people that wanted to make this level of impact in their organizations, but the autoimmune of the organizations right. would never let them. And they ultimately decided to fire yep. themselves from corporate America. And I'm talking about SVPs of, and CEOs of, really massive well-known organizations and and so like we've kind yeah. of become this place sort of the island of misfit toys the, the you know the people who can who, who were the they were labeled the mavericks because they were doing what you and i yeah. are talking about they were just ahead of they're ahead right they were ahead that's of, exactly right. ahead of their time yeah so i have sure. to ask you one last question before we we close off Anytime. i could talk to you for hours alan um do you uh, do you, you still know, make music now? I get asked now? that question a lot, and the answer is yes. Uh, I still make music. Uh, I don't, you know. I, it's funny. I have some some folks that still 
uh, want me to go in and record new music. I've I've been more focused on writing books than than uh, than than making music. But you know, music is still a big part of what I get to do. Even like you know, I I, I worked with uh, Heineken uh, USA with their their HR leadership yep. team last week in upstate New York. And, you know, we did our session and then we hung out in the evening at this great place and we just all told music stories and I've got to play music and talk about how I wrote this song or tell stories about maybe some of the interesting rock stars I got to meet along the way. And we just kind of hung out. And so oh, nice. it's still a part, I don't think I've written my best music yet, but in the spirit of focus and not scaring my wife, um, uh, you know, I, I think there's a really important level of of work that we need to get to here at banding and uh and and i think once i and i don't know if i'll ever cross that goal line really but i think if i the closer i get to that the more i will allow myself to make new music that's beautiful well alan i am so so glad that you came on the show i know i learned i learned a bunch today um and i i hope our paths cross someday let's you know let's make that happen we'll we'll figure out how that will happen so here's the thing you have to know about me. And my wife would tell you this. There are people that I meet on airplanes or in bars or in restaurants or places like this. And I go, we're going to get together and breathe the same air. And the thing is, I'm wired to be very intentional about it. And you just gave me an excuse to come to Toronto or that, or wherever you're close to that is. Because Toronto. I've never, I've never been to Toronto. Come on. So you have now, so you've now just become a compelling event and an excuse for me to visit Toronto. And you think I'm kidding, but this is really how I roll. I don't think you're kidding. And you better get your ass up here to Toronto. There's uh, a lot, there's like a cool music scene. At, like there's so many good things. So you're coming to oh, Toronto. Yeah. We'll go see Blue Rodeo. All right. Oh, I love Blue Rodeo. Yes. And, and the Glorious Sons when they come back, they're in Kingston, but that's it. Awesome band. Perfect. Well, Alan, um, one last, anything else you want to say to the listeners in terms of where they could find you, Are you on Twitter, Instagram, yeah. any of that stuff? Yeah, I'll tell you, I I write religiously f- on work days, five days a week on LinkedIn. And if this kind of flavor or you know insights into the musical world of how they show up in in your world, if that is resonating with you, as a matter of fact, today, today I did a post on Steven Tyler and, and behavior change. So no, no that's way. kind of my flavor. And uh, so check me out on LinkedIn, please, and please let me know that you that you heard me here, so I so I can have some reference for the conversation. Um, also on, you know, Twitter at Alan Schaefer. And, uh, and, and Instagram, you can check do, you us put, out. do you put pictures of yourself yeah. up on Instagram too? You know, I'm, I'm getting better. I think I'm just old. I'm, I'm getting better. <laughs> the, the pictures on Instagram are of like of my dog and crazy animals and things like that. But uh, yeah, uh, at, uh, at Alan Schaefer on, on, on Instagram and uh, and then also bandingpeopletogether.com or bandingpt.com. All right, perfect. Well, when you come to Toronto, we're going to get a picture of you and I, I don't know, it. maybe at a Raptors game or something, the CN Tower behind yes. you, but something will get your will get your usage of Instagram up as well. Dig it. Thank you all so right. much for having well, me, Carolyn. Thanks again, Alan. Thanks to all the listeners out there. And that's a wrap on another show here. PWE? Well, I'd welcome you to buy my book, Rules of Engagement, Building a Workplace Culture to Thrive in an Uncertain World. I share stories, personal and professional, 
about different elements of PWE. And it's available on Amazon or on Indigo. Thanks to all of you out there. This is why we do this. This is why we have this conversation. We look forward to being with you again on our next PWE and Me podcast. Now, the best way you can hear us is to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. And if you don't like either one of those two, you can always go to my website at carolynsuora.com.